0: White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. hooray right. It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight.
1: Welcome in, it's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino. White Sox Network. Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. Don't worry, you'll hear from Connor later on today. He'll join the show coming up at 345. And we will also hear from him on the call today alongside Darren Jackson, the White Sox and Rangers. They get going at 605 first pitch. Down in Arlington, Texas. What a week for the White Sox it has been. We had some trade deadline stuff that we'll get to throughout the show. We had a winner last night on the White Sox front, and we'd love to hear from you as well. 312 332 3776. The White Sox got some offense late thanks to Eloy Jimenez. You know, Eloy's one of those players who his arrival, his re emergence into the lineup, Has been fantastic and very, very important for this White Sox team. You look at a bunch of the numbers in terms of what his power does. For the White Sox, how he kind of reinvigorates the lineup. Even though they only scored two runs last night, it was important to have Aloy's bat back in the lineup. And you see him go out. He hits the big go-ahead home run late. The White Sox now this season 4-0 when Aloy hits a home run. And they've won their last 12 games when Aloy goes yard as well. That just shows how important his bat has been for this White Sox team and this White Sox lineup, and they'll look to do it again. We'll get you the lineup and everything for today's game coming up in just a little bit. I mentioned the trade deadline also happened this week. Dylan sees Dylan once again. He's going through an absolutely historic stretch. We'll talk about his Cy Young candidacy over the course of the show. We'll also hear... From Jimmy Lambert, he's going to join the show coming up at 4.35. And Jesse Rogers from ESPN will join us to break down what went down at the trade deadline, not just for the White Sox, but for the rest of the AL Central and how the White Sox fit in the calculus of the race for the playoffs. As we get closer and closer, the start of August is officially here, and we are just that much closer to some October baseball. Cannot wait. Hopefully, The guys on the south side will be involved with it all. We want to hear from you as well. This is your show, 312-332-3776. I've got a couple things that I want to ponder here throughout the course of today's show. First of all is some of the power numbers for the White Sox. I want to get into that and how that can maybe shift the dynamic of this second half. Also, the schedule. For This White Sox team is that inspiring optimism and I think also getting into the, the trade deadline conversation how do you feel about what the White Sox did just one trade a major league player for player swap with the Boston Red Sox the Sox acquiring Jake Diekman and the White Sox sending out catcher Reese McGuire who is their third catcher and with the emergence of Sebi Zavala behind the plates that's something that, especially from an offensive standpoint what Sebi's done is It was kind of tough to start carrying three catchers, and one unfortunately had to go, but you are bringing in a much-needed lefty arm into that bullpen in Jake Diekman, who's got plenty of experience as well, and so far has been really good for this White Sox team in his two appearances since being traded for back on, that was Monday, that the White Sox made that swap just before game time in Game 1 of that series against the Royals. So, Getting into what went down yesterday, another absolutely stellar start from Dylan Cease. You cannot say enough about what Cease has done and what Cease has meant to this White Sox rotation. And, you know, it's funny. I've been talking a little bit about Eloy and the power that he's brought. And you think back to the trade that was made to acquire Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez. It wasn't that Cease was necessarily a throw-in. More of a sweetener, I think, to that deal for the White Sox when they sent out Jose Quintana to the Cubs and acquired both Jimenez and Cease. However, if you told me that between the two guys, as we sat here in 2022, they've both been up with the Major League team for a little bit, accrued some service time, who has been the better of the two players At least the way that we're looking at it right now, Dylan Cease is certainly looking like the marquee prospect. And that's not to take away anything from Aloy, because obviously Aloy Jimenez has been fantastic in his own right with the Chicago White Sox ever since coming over from the Cubs in that trade. I mean, you look at some of the home run numbers that Aloy has had. He had the 31 in his rookie season. Then you get the shortened campaign of 60 games. He plays 55 of them and hits 14 long balls. And then, unfortunately for Jimenez... His career has been halted a little bit because of injuries each of the past two seasons. Only played 55 games last year. Has only appeared in 32 here in 2022. But Dylan Cease is looking like a guy who's going to be right in the thick of things once we get into Cy Young balloting. It's a race in the AL between him, Shane McClanahan, Justin Verlander. All three of those guys are having fantastic seasons. But right now, it's Dylan Cease who's on this historic run. He's allowed fewer one, run, one earned run or fewer in each of his last 13 starts. It's the longest stretch for a major league pitcher in the live ball era. And you look at the stuff that Cease has been. The slider has been dominant for him. Last night, he goes six innings, allows just two hits, one run, walks three guys but strikes out five to dip his ERA below two this season. He's down to 198. And I think the one thing with Cease that always impresses me is This streak of one earned run or fewer has been put in jeopardy a couple times because of some early runs that he's allowed, whether it be like last night when he allowed one in the first inning, whether it be a, a couple starts ago, I believe, where he allowed one really early on as well. There's a couple times where this streak has been in jeopardy, and you figure Cease, you get usually around six, sometimes seven innings out of him. When you allow that early run, you really have to lock in to preserve a streak as tough as this one is. And he has done it in a magnificent way. And the way that he has settled himself down in some of these starts has been really, really impressive to me. I think last night's a prime example. There is some pop at the the top of this Texas Rangers lineup. When you look at their two big free agent signings that they made this offseason in Marcus Semien and Corey Seager... And just the nature of the first inning being the highest scoring inning in baseball over the course of time. And I look at the way that he has settled himself down. And that, to me, goes to show you what he means to this team and just how dominant he really is when he can put together those sort of outings. When he can maybe get into a little bit of traffic, but navigate out of some of these by inducing some weak contact, by getting some big strikeouts as well. I think Dylan Cease is one of those guys who he was good last year. You look at the numbers a season ago a 391 earned run average with an ERA plus of 112. He struck out 226 batters over the course of 165 innings. Uh, the whip was a little bit up there, around 1.25. He's dropped that to 1.15 this season, which has been impressive. And his strikeouts per nine a season ago being at 12.3, which led the league. Uh, It led the American League last season and the durability that was there with 32 starts, which also led the American League last season. And I think when you look at what Cease has morphed his way into and what he has become as the starter for this team is nothing short of remarkable here. And the fact that he's taking yet another step as good as he was last year, we still saw some Dylan Cease clunkers from time to time. But this year... You're not seeing a lot of those. He's posted a 4.1 war here in 2022 alone. His 1.98 ERA, along with a 12-4 and record, the 166 strikeouts. And he doesn't always need the strikeout to go out there and have a dominant outing. I look back to one of the outings he had. It was against Cleveland. Three starts ago now. He goes out, six innings pitched. Seven hits, a little high for him. Only four strikeouts. And usually when Dylan's at his best, you see those strikeout numbers at seven, eight, nine, even into double digits like he's done four times this season already. And I look at what he has put together with learning how to pitch and taking that next step, not always needing the strikeout to get out of some sticky situations. We've seen the evolution of Dylan Cease in that manner. And it's really, really promising to see. Not only is he going to be an ace of this White Sox staff moving forward, he's going to be an ace in all of baseball. And I'm sure he's taking that All-Star snub to heart. When you look at some of the performances that he has put together ever since the All-Star break, I mean, it is nothing short of remarkable. In the three starts, he's made sense. 18 innings of work, 13 hits. Two runs, 16 strikeouts over the course of that. That is an ERA of one on the dot there. And it's this second half, too, that's going to be one of the things that determines whether or not he is going to end up being the Cy Young. He's certainly going to be in the conversation. I believe the latest FanDuel odds that I saw prior to today's show has him at third right now. You've got Justin Verlander leading the way. He's actually minus money. And then you've got Shane McClanahan from Tampa Bay, followed by Dylan Cease. And I'm looking at the way that Cease is pitching. He's going to have plenty of opportunities, especially when you look at the White Sox schedule the rest of the way. Not a lot of teams that particularly scare you. There's an Astros series in there. And there's a Padres series in there as well. Mariners will also be another team that stocks Sox have on their docket in terms of the playoff push. Then outside of that, it's a lot of divisional teams and a lot of the weaker crop of the American League. And Dylan's going to have a chance. He's already done it against some of the best of the best. You look at some of the lineups that he's shut down so far this season. He's done really well against some really good teams so far this year. Now he's got a chance to sort of pad his stats a little bit and get into another gear. So 3123323776 if you want to jump on into the conversation we will talk with Connor McKnight in just a little bit. He is down in Texas. He'll be on the call alongside Darren Jackson first pitch at 605. We've got you on the Fanduel White Sox pregame show coming up at 5:30 as well. We'll talk to Jimmy Lambert. He's had a primetime seat to watching Dylan Cease so far this season. We'll get Jimmy's impressions of what he's noticed out of Dylan Cease and we'll also talk with Jesse Rogers. For a full trade deadline recap. Hey, happy International Trading Card Day from Tops! Don't forget to visit your participating local hobby shop today, August sixth, to receive a free pack of cards plus a special card if you purchase ten dollars or more of Tops products while supplies last. Be sure to post your packs on social media using the hashtag #TopsITCD and follow along with @Tops on social media. Visit Tops.com. For more information, when we come back, we'll talk with Connor McKnight live from Texas. That's coming up in just a little bit. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Run your socks off is back. Join us at Guaranteed Rate Field tomorrow, August seventh, for the Run Your Socks Off 5K presented by Planet Fitness. Racers will cross the on-field finish line and can help head up. To the concourse to enjoy a post-race party, visit with vendors, enjoy the ballpark view, and more. All net proceeds will benefit White Sox charities. Learn more at whitesox.com slash run. Not going to be doing much running down in Texas, is Connor McKnight. He joins us now on White Sox Weekly. How hot is it today, Connor?
2: It's so hot, Tyler. It's so it's so hot. It's the kind of hot where you're not your brain doesn't allow you to think about anything other. Than how hot it is. I don't. We took the I, we took the bus in from the, the the team hotel, and as we drove past, there are a couple of parking lots around the ballpark, and there is actually there's a group of people tailgating in in 100 oh, no. and, and like 40 degree heat, and these like it's three hours before the the, the gates even open here at the ballpark. That's some dedication, Holmes. So I, I respected
1: that, but I don't
2: know how they do it. It's just it, it's it's
1: mind meltingly hot. It is different down in Texas. It certainly is. I could hear the pain in your voice when you said when you just started that answer too. Well,
2: you know, you know me Tyler, I'm a, I'm a coffee hound. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, I get to three cups and that's almost starting my day. And, and I had to walk across the, the way, like I had to leave the hotel to go in search of coffee today. And it was just, it was too hot to go anywhere. And the cool thing about the, the coffee places here, at least it seems, is they serve lukewarm coffee, and I think it's because they know if they served actually hot coffee, then you'd just be walking around in 150-degree heat with 150-degree beverages, and nobody wants that. So the, the coffee was actually colder than it was outside. That's how hot it is.
1: One of those. Uh, that, that's interesting. You, you let Mother Nature... Heat your coffee for you. That's that's probably smart. All right, let's get into some White Sox stuff here. L- yesterday, another dominant outing from Dylan Cease. He shuts down this Rangers lineup. I was talking a little bit earlier about the intriguing thing for me with Cease is that you look at some of his starts during this 13-start stretch where he's allowed one earned run or fewer in every single one of them. And that streak's been in jeopardy a number of times, very early in those starts. Yesterday d- being a prime example of that when he allows the first inning run. Why do you think Dylan Cease has been able to just lock in after sometimes allowing some early runs? I, I think it's
2: Dylan Cease knowing Dylan Cease at this point. You know the the much written about. You know James Feegan and you know Saris wrote about the the grip change that uh, Dylan went through kind of choking that slider back into the grip a little bit more. I I think when a pitcher gets to that point where um, he is no longer working on his mechanics, where he trusts that overall delivery, but then just begins to tweak around the edges, you know, the the grip and um, pitch placement, where his eyes are as he delivers the pitch home. um, the The individual feels for different pitching mounds, you know, things like that. When you get to that level, you're you're playing a little bit of a different game, and I think that confidence has been uh, resting within Cease, has been kind of you know building within Cease over these 13 starts, you know since that tweet got made, and I think that as much as anything else is why he's been able to battle back from you know like you mentioned some of those first inning uh, hiccups. It's funny you said it too. After the the Rangers got the first run yesterday, Len and myself and, and DJ and I. Kind of looked around and said, Oh, I don't know, do you think he gets it or do you think the streak ends here? Do you think he keeps it going or do you think it ends? And and after the first inning we were all three of us kinda of like, Ooh, I don't know, I'll have to see one more. And after that second inning went by, it was just like, oh, oh no, he locked it back in. He's good to go. They're not they're not gonna get anything else off Dylan Cease tonight. You know, if the White Sox lose this one, it's it's gonna be a reliever or something weird that happens, or the offense just kinda not, you know, whatever, and then Eloy hits the home run and it's enough to hold on with a good bullpen effort. So it really is, man. Like something you you notice. Yeah, it passes. I, I like to call it the mom test. You know, if you're, my mother's a, a baseball yeah. fan and everything, but it's not as though she follows the league every day. But you know, if she were to go to a game and saw Dylan Cease pitch, she'd be like, "Oh, that guy's different. He's better than everybody else. He's just so much better. Why is he better? He's he's that kind of good right now. He passes that test."
1: Connor McKnight with us on White Sox Weekly. You'll hear him alongside Darren Jackson on the call. First pitch at 6.05 down in Texas for Game 3 of a four-game set between the Rangers and the White Sox. So when you look at Dylan Cease in the heat of this Cy Young mix right now, it's Cease, it's Shane McClanahan, it's Justin Verlander. You can throw Shohei Otani's name in there as well, I think. When you get into this mix, how conscious do you think Dylan is of, I want to go out and win this award, especially after being snubbed of an all-star?
2: I think he is conscious of it. I think he is very well aware that he's pitching against three things when it comes to winning the AL Cy Young in 2022. He's pitching against each and every lineup that he's going to go ahead and face, right? Everybody's going to do that. He's pitching against his walk total, which is very high. It underlines just how good he's been that he's able to walk as many as he has and keep those runs off the board. But that walk total is something that's going to fight against him when it comes to Cy Young votes. And he's also the third thing, and this might be the biggest thing he's fighting against. he's fighting against an, an, an irresistible narrative uh, that Justin Verlander is putting together right now. You know, and everybody loves you know, the comeback story, everybody loves the, you know, the ageless wonder and, and everything he's doing. I, I It's really difficult to, to wrest that from Verlander. I, I think Dylan's very well aware of those things. You know, I, I think, you know, he wasn't pleased, nor should he be, with the all-star snub, right? I, I think we all saw him ticketed for L.A. Um, I, I think we could all have seen, you know, that content that was going to be created there around Dylan going to the all-star game. Um, so I think he's pitching with a little bit of a, you know, it's a chip on his shoulder, and I think that's a good thing. You know, that's healthy for guys when they go out there. But it, it, you know, the way this sets up right now, and I haven't looked at what the odds were uh, this morning. Um, I, I know Verlander is the presumptive favorite, and Cease is a little ways away. But I, I think that's well understood. But that's not gonna that's not gonna take the shine off of any individual game for Dylan when he gets out there to pitch it.
1: Connor McKnight with us on White Sox Weekly. So, speaking of a guy who did make the All-Star game this year, that's Liam Hendricks, and he goes out and notches his 100th career save last night, another dominant outing from him. You look at some of the the free agent signings that the White Sox have made over time, and I started to think, where does Liam Hendricks rank among the best White Sox free agent signings for you?
2: Ooh, that's a that's you know. Oh, I almost gave you a, a black and a dollar uh, good question right there. I could hear the oh, ding. You oh, you felt it too. You you all oh, we tensed up together and we almost had a point on the board for Tyler Aki. Um, no, but I, but I won't give you that. I it's up there. Um, let's see free agent signings. So I mean, a lot of pitchers. The White Sox unfortunately haven't had a whole bunch of free agent acquisition hitters that have been uh, some good trades. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why Liam. So the thing is, is like, I, I look at Liam as a closer who, where if you're going to make the all time list in, from that position, I think the team needs to have had some, some postseason success, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, a great closer, but that's that's a finishing piece, quite literally. I I would also like to see some postseason wins come with it. And that's not necessarily all on Liam, right? I mean, like he right. can't hit and he can't take his team to the promised land all by himself. But he can certainly close the door once they're there. I—he's pushing his way into one of the fan favorites, that's for sure. It's—it's uh, it's really difficult to watch Liam pitch and not feel, you know, kind of like you're rooting for the guy because of the emotion that he brings and the screaming that he does and the and the swearing that he gives you. You know, he's a colorful guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I lo- i look at it too. Is think about the shift that he made, he came from Oakland to the White Sox after knocking the White Sox out of the playoffs as well. Like, I feel like that almost adds to the significance of him joining this team that he had actually just beaten in the playoffs.
2: I, I think that's true. I also like, and it'll be really interesting to see how the balance of, of Liam Hendricks you know, this year, next year, uh, kind of plays out. You know, is he, he had been so successful at times um, being more multiple as a, as a closer. And I think, you know, the way this bullpen sets up right now with the health concerns that Joe Kelly's kind of pitched around and other guys too, Renato Lopez, you know, you, you got to make sure that Liam Hendricks and, and, Hendricks himself have been out for three weeks of the forearm strain. I, I like when Liam's available to you for four outs, for five outs. I like when he, you know, can be assigned some tougher innings in the middle of a ball game in a more non-traditional role. Um, that's not been there for the white Sox this season. That's not been an option, but I'll be really interested to see if it might become one again, if, if those four and five inning saves, if maybe, um, different assignments are there for him. I, I like that in a bullpen. I like it to be versatile. I like it to be mul- multiple, Um, and I wouldn't be too surprised if that's something that they could revisit given the, the, the fact that Liam is a, a horse out of that bullpen. He is that guy. You can take the ball over and over again. I mean, that's, that's kind of the mystique of Liam, right? You know, Tyler, he pitches, he throws 50 pitches in a game against the White Sox out of the A's bullpen and comes mm-hmm. back the next day to send the White Sox home. So, you know, that was very much a, a big storyline around Hendricks when he signed.
1: I, I think, too, when you, when you look at Hendricks and you bring up the, the multiple and the extra dimension that he brings as a closer, I mean, look at the trade that the the Brewers just made, sending Josh Hader out, even though the Brewers are in the thick of a playoff race here and they're shipping their all-star closer out. And part of the reason is Hader will only pitch one inning. He only wants to go for those three outs. Meanwhile, you got a guy like Liam. He can get you five outs. He can get you three outs. We saw even last year at times where he'd come in in the eighth and seed way to Craig Kimbrell at times. Like There were all these different dimensions of Liam. He It seems like he is the ultimate team player for that reason.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, he wants the baseball first and foremost. And in order to stay, you know, uh, tip top, he throws every day. I mean, not just like, you know, off the mountain, not in a game, but he throws every day to stay loose. So that's kind of part of his whole thing. You know, you find a guy like that. I I like the ability, uh, availability. I like the ability to use him. I was just having that conversation with DJ, you know, just as we were walking around the other day about Josh Hader. I, for me, Tyler, if you're going to be a one-inning closer, you better be as good as Hader has been mm-hmm. over his career. You know, last couple of weeks of hiccups aside, you know, like everybody's going to get hit around every now and again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you better be that good. Otherwise, I'm I'm not that interested in signing you to a big money deal, right? Like it's the, the guys who can just throw you one innings you know, kind of limits themselves. It limits the rest of the bullpen a little bit, especially now that we're back to 13 pitchers on a roster and, and having to move maneuver through all of those things and it with a three batter minimum too. So um, I think there's value to that. Uh, and I, I kind of, I, I like the Brewers move, sending Hader away to, to San Diego with the, for the return they got. I, I think it's kind of crafty considering who the Brewers are and, and kind of what their constraints payroll wise, what they've chosen for their constraints payroll-wise.
1: I'm with you. I, I totally agree with you there. Real quick, last thing I'll get to you here, Connor, and by the way, he's coming up with DJ 605 first pitch on the call for White Sox and Rangers. You briefed me on the clubhouse ping-pong matches that have been going on. What's the most epic match you've seen so far down in Texas?
2: I have only seen one, uh, and it was uh, it was Jimmy Lambert and Gavin Sheets slinging it around a little bit. It was, dude, Heated. Uh, this, this was a this was a heated game of ping pong. It was rushed, you know, because the guys were getting out to work and stuff. But the the Texas visiting clubhouse has uh, has a lot of stuff in there for everybody. And I haven't been to the home clubhouse yet. I, I've been to this ballpark once before last year, but it was a very rushed trip for me. Uh, but there's like a pop a shot down there somewhere, and wow. there's a, a ping pong thing, and there's a I think an arcade. thing. A cabinet that had something in there. I wasn't sure if it was Galaga or, you know, one of the ones that has like, you know, it's like an old school looking arcade, but it's got like thousands of games on it. Cause some of these just shoved a raspberry Pi in there. And then they just kind of operated off that. I don't know. It looked like it was one of those, um, but this is, it, it, this is a heated ping pong game. It looked like there was a lot more to this ping pong match uh, than met the eye, right? Like a real transformer situation. So
1: it, it, it was a thing. That is fantastic. We're going to talk to Jimmy Lambert, and we'll ask him about the ping-pong matches that have been going on. Connor, thanks so much. We'll talk to you at 6.05. Dallas, take care, man. That's Connor McKnight. You usually hear him in this spot for White Sox Weekly. He's got the play-by-play assignment today. We'll do a trade deadline roundup when we come back. That's in two minutes on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight today. We just had a great conversation with Connor. All things of what's going on down in Texas. A lot of Dylan Cease, some Liam Hendricks. And if you missed any of it, you can check out the podcast, White Sox Weekly, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ESPN Chicago app. Hey, join us for Family Sundays at guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at $10 and parking for only 15. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit whitesocks.com/sundays to purchase your tickets today. If you want to hop on into the conversation, 312-332-3776 talking about the White Sox. And the trade deadline that passed us on Tuesday. Obviously, the big bomb that hit the baseball world was Juan Soto. It certainly made an impact on some of the other deals that went down across baseball as well. But let's get into what happened in the AL Central here. So obviously, the White Sox, they made their lone move on Monday leading into the trade deadline. They shipped out Reese McGuire. He's going to Boston. And into the White Sox organization comes Jake Deekman, the lefty reliever. And Deekman, so far with the White Sox has been pretty good as well. So far, he's gotten uh, two scoreless outings. And hopefully that's the sign of things to come for Deekman and the White Sox, especially for a White Sox bullpen right now that is struggling in terms of the left-handed availability. Not necessarily the performance, but certainly the left-handed availability for the White Sox. Before Diekman arrived, Tanner Banks was the lone lefty that was active. Aaron Bummer has been dealing with an injury this season in the shoulder lat area that has held him out and made things difficult for Tony Larusa to kind of play the matchups at times. Sometimes you have to find your reverse split guys. But Diekman so far this season with Boston... 5-1 was his record with a 4.23 ERA in 44 appearances this season, 38 in a third innings log. He did notch one save in his time with the Red Sox as well. Also struck out 55 batters in the course of that time as well. A one hundred seven ERA plus, if you're into that sort of stuff, a 1.487 whip with the Boston Red Sox. I should say a 101 ERA plus, a 107 ERA plus for the whole here in 2022. His time with the White Sox has certainly helped him in that department with his two flawless innings that he has had so far. He's faced six batters. He's set all six down in his two appearances here. Now, when you look across the greater landscape of the AL Central and what went down, the Guardians, very quiet, at the trade deadline they didn't make a whole heck of a lot of noise the one move that they made came on Tuesday afternoon before their game against Arizona when they sent minor league catcher Sandy Leone who obviously has spent some time in the major leagues as well to Minnesota in exchange for a minor league righty Ian Hamilton who was moved to AAA immediately so That is your lone move the Guardians made, not really adding anything, or I shouldn't say not really. They didn't add anything to their trade at the trade deadline for this team. The other side, there was one team that did in this thick of the AL Central race that did make a couple of moves to try to really go for it here in 2022, and that is the Minnesota Twins. They certainly did a number on their. Bowl, or overall, they're they're pitching in general to try to make some moves and make some noise here in this 2022 season. So the big trades for Minnesota, they came in the form of pitching. The White Sox, they also did some stuff in the form of pitching as well. They got one of the best relievers available. It was all-star Jorge Lopez. He's coming over from Baltimore. That was a big move. For this Minnesota team that is going out and trying to bolster all sorts of things. And here's the thing about Minnesota is they made these moves to bolster their pitching staff, their bullpen. But they still, when you line things up head-to-head with the White Sox, I look at it more as a the gap closed a little bit, not really getting lapped in the race if I'm the White Sox. Certainly the Twins got better at the trade deadline. Tyler Malley, one of the big names that they got as a starter. And, of course, the last name that they also got, Michael Fulmer, coming over from the Detroit Tigers within the division there. So you look at the moves that Minnesota made here. They got closer, but I don't think they've passed the White Sox. When you're going head-to-head and going through the rotations and you're stacking things up side by side there I still think the White Sox especially when you look at think of the best of the best especially in some of the important spots there who's going to have the advantage in all of these situations I think you look at a top line ace I still take Dylan Cease and the White Sox if you look at your closer I'm still taking Liam Hendricks and the White Sox as getting the advantages there but It's certainly something to look forward to, especially when you have as many games against the Twins the remainder of the way that you do. You're not going to get some of the starters that you were able to hit around a little bit with Minnesota. You're going to get some much better pitching performances, not just from the starting rotation, but also out of the bullpen as well. And that's the team that the White Sox are chasing in the American League Central and the team that they're going to have to make some noise against in this post trade deadline stretch that they are going through here in in 2022 if you do want to win this division now rick Hahn, he met with the media after the trade deadline as the gms of every team do after a trade deadline and here's what rick Hahn, general manager had to say about the overall uh just his overall thoughts on what happened during the trade deadline
0: first uh In all candor, we're disappointed that we weren't able to do more to improve this club. I think you saw a year ago at this time, you've seen it for the last uh, several years, arguably the last couple of decades, that it's our nature to try to improve this club at any opportunity we have. And unfortunately, we weren't able to line up on, on some of our other potential targets. Anyone out there who is feeling a level of frustration or disappointment? I'm there with you. Uh, Second, and probably more important, the fact of the matter is is we still very much believe in this group that's inside that clubhouse right now. Uh, We feel they are very much capable of playing better baseball than we've seen over the first few months, and that there's a makings of a potential championship team in there should they get to their accustomed levels of performance. One of the things that excites us is about getting this group together and having them playing together on a regular basis. And we're finally getting closer uh, to having the group, at least of the uh, six core guys since 2020 that perform well together. We're getting very close to having them all back together, and with a little bit of better for- fortune, health-wise, going forward. I'm confident that that's a quality group and capable of winning this division and beyond.
1: So that's Rick Hahn, and I thought that was a very candid, very transparent response, and those were his opening remarks addressing what the White Sox did at the trade down line. Again, just the one move being made, the trade for Jake Deekman Meanwhile, you've got another team in the division in the Twins who went out and tried to bolster their pitching. I do look at what the White Sox, or rather what they didn't do, and there were a couple places that I think a lot of fans would have liked to see. And even I think you kind of heard from Rick Hahn there. There were other areas of this ball club that he wanted to address, that he wanted to bolster heading into this stretch run leading into the playoffs here. Now, Rick Hahn also talked a little bit about what the market was like. Was it a seller's market? Here's what Rick Hahn had to say.
0: Look, there was it was a, it was a different market this year. I don't know if it was a byproduct of uh, having... Uh, more playoff teams than there's been in the past or a byproduct of the wild card round being a best of three as opposed to more of a coin flip game that sort of led to uh, sellers perhaps being a little more aggressive in terms of their asking prices. Uh, Again, I can't speed. There were some players that I think people thought were probably going to get moved who wound up not getting moved uh, for whatever reason, which is an individual team's choice. Uh, But I think the market overall was favorable towards the sellers, and we
1: didn't line up. And there's Rick Hahn. and there have been a number of names that were not moved at this trade deadline that I think a lot of GMs are scratching their heads about, when whether it's a, a Jock Peterson from the Giants, obviously what happened with the Cubs not moving Wilson Contreras or Ian Happ, and I'd like to, I, I really there's a lot of things that have been circulated about how Juan Soto and the trade that the the Padres made maybe held up the entire market and maybe ended up hurting the White Sox a little bit because if that deal doesn't go through, obviously when you're moving a player like Juan Soto and the assets that it would take to get a Juan Soto on your team, and it wasn't just Juan Soto, they also got Josh Bell in that trade too, which is maybe flying under the wayside a little bit as well. But when you have to give up the mega assets that you do, again, again, it would have been interesting to see if that deal fell through and the Padres start sprinkling some of these top prospects to these different teams. Maybe there were backup plan deals in place spread around the league for the Padres, whether it was with the Giants, the Cubs, the or whoever it may be to get some of these other players. And at the end of the day, the pieces didn't fall into place for the White Sox and some of the buyers out there to get some of the players that they would have liked at this trade deadline. I also found this very interesting. This was an article from Daryl Van Scowen in the Chicago Sun-Times. And it was talking about Liam Hendricks. And there were some, some good quotes in this article from Hendricks talking about the inactivity from the White Sox at the trade deadline. So Hendricks says, We saw what Rick said, and it was disappointing we weren't able to add more. And that was something we thought in here as well, here being the clubhouse, I presume. But in saying that, we're not exactly in the most enviable position with our lowly-ranked farm system. What we can give up, if gaining something takes something away from this team, then standing pat wasn't the worst thing in the world. Would I have liked to see a little bit more? Sure. But this is a window that's not open just this year. We don't want to take away from this year or the next year or the year after that. And I found that very interesting and I think very, very honest. Answer from Liam Hendricks. A lot of times you don't hear players talk about, oh, frustrations with what happened with the front office. Now, sometimes it's a little bit different when the front office outwardly comes out and says that they were a little frustrated with the way things went down, as Rick Hahn did when he met with the media after the trade deadline. But I think Liam's comments were interesting because I wonder how that's permeating throughout the rest of the White Sox clubhouse right now. What is the overarching ...feeling within that clubhouse right now. And we'd like to hear from you as well. How do you feel about the White Sox action... ...or rather inaction... ...at the trade deadline? Just the one move that came across the wire. And you kind of see where the rest of the division... ...stacks up and what kind of level of aggression... ...there was at the trade deadline. The Guardians were just like the Sox. Did not make any sort of big time splash move... ...at the deadline. Meanwhile, you've got another team in the Twins... Who went out and added three pitchers that are going to be important pieces of what they want to do and their run into trying to win the AL Central? So, how do you feel about what the White Sox did at the trade deadline? 312 332 3776. We'll take your phone calls and do some more stuff. We're also going to talk to Jimmy Lambert. That's coming up at 4 35. Looking forward to that conversation. As you heard from Connor, some heated ping pong matches going on in that White Sox clubhouse. We will get. The uh, what's going on down there in the clubhouse from Jimmy Lambert when we talk to him at 4:35. That's coming up on White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. You will hear Connor. On the call alongside Darren Jackson. First pitch coming up at 6.05. I'll be with you for the FanDuel White Sox pregame show. That gets going at 5.30. We'll talk to Jimmy Lambert in 15 minutes from now. We'll also talk with Jesse Rogers at 5 o'clock. Jesse's going to give us everything that went down with the MLB trade deadline and everything that the White Sox have moving forward here in the second half. Again, the schedule is going to be a lot softer for these White Sox in the second half. And hoping this meter above five does doesn't go below five hundred for the remainder of this regular season and ultimately lands in a White Sox playoff berth. Hey, join the White Sox as they take on the Detroit Tigers next Saturday, August 13th at 6.10 p.m. Get to the ballpark early as the first 20,000 fans will receive a Lance Lynn bobblehead. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. Speaking of Lance Lynn, a former Texas Ranger himself, his... Counterpart, or rather, the the player he was traded for in the the deal for Lance Lynn is on the mound today for the Texas Rangers. That is Dane Dunning. He will go for the the Rangers today, going up against Michael Kopech. So White Sox and Rangers, that's coming up at 6.05 later on today. We've been talking a lot about the White Sox the trade deadline today, the moves that were, the moves that weren't made not just for the White Sox, but across the division as well. And I think that when you look at what the Sox did at the deadline, and, I, and it gets kind of back to the comments that Liam Hendricks made as well, I get it. White Sox fans not happy with the moves, or rather, not necessarily the moves that were made. I don't think there was anything wrong with the move that was made by the White Sox. I think you'd went out and addressed something that needed to get done you needed to go out and get some left-handed relief help because Aaron Bummer has been injured for a bulk of the season and the entire lefty work out of the pen shouldn't all fall on the shoulders of Tanner Banks. I get that. That's smart. I think Rick Hahn did the right thing going out and getting someone like Jake Diekmann, who has been really good so far for the White Sox, and hopefully that continues along here in 2022. However, I I, I do think there was more to be done. And I look at some of the the moves that maybe weren't made for the White Sox as things that, I don't know, like, I would have liked to see just some added bats, some added lefty. I, I don't even necessarily need to see power. Just another lefty bat that could be a factor in this lineup. It didn't need to be someone that would necessarily go out there and get you a ton of power, per se. But I think it would have been nice to have that extra option. This is from Bradford Doolittle on ESPN.com. And we'll talk with his colleague Jesse Rogers at 5 a little bit about this as well. And he talked about the headline for the article is five contenders with gaping holes remaining after the MLB trade deadline. White Sox are the first team he talks about here. Problem position. Is second base 19th season to date 28th the rest of the season? He says, Chicago's inaction at the deadline was troubling, though it may have been more of a reflection of how much the system has thinned out than a lack of motivation to improve the roster. There is no position at which the White Sox needed more of an upgrade than second base, where their rest of season projection is 1.6 standard deviations below average. Congratulations, this is the biggest, this is the single biggest positional hole on a contending team. The White Sox are left to stand pat, leaning on defensive production at the Keystone and hoping they can make up the offense elsewhere. Josh Harrison ranks 5th in Fangraph's defensive rankings. Meanwhile, the White Sox rank 24th with a 6'11 OPS at the position. So, you look at some of the second basemen that were moved during this trade deadline. There was a Whitmerfield move that was made right at the horn. But I don't know if the White Sox would have had the pieces to go out and get someone like this. You look at the White Sox organization, and I think it's sort of reflected, too, in the trade that they did make. They didn't send any minor leaguers to go get Jake Deekman. They sent someone straight off of the major league roster with another team who's kind of sitting in limbo in the Boston Red Sox. Who Were they sellers? Were they buyers at the deadline? Kind of tough to tell there. But they did go out and, and they did trade a major leaguer. And maybe it does go to show what the state of the farm system is. You look at some of the rankings heading into this season. The White Sox were last or near last by a lot of publications. And when you don't have those sort of pieces, because, again, if the White Sox did have those sort of pieces to make a big move, it would they would have been one of those teams that were in the thick of things In the Juan Soto race, if the Angels were to move Shohei Otani, they would have been one of the teams that were maybe in the thick of things to make that sort of move. But because of the way that this farm system has thinned out a little bit, your hands are a little bit more tied. When you look at some of the players that are shining in the White Sox organization right now, Oscar Colas, a name that a lot of fans are infatuated with and for good reason, because of the numbers that he's put up in his young minor league career. Colson Montgomery, another guy who I think a lot of White Sox fans are juiced up for because of the success that he has had early on in his minor league career. But those aren't players that I'm trading for a lefty rental right now. Those are the pieces that maybe you give up if you are trying to get a Juan Soto, but it's going to take a lot, as evidenced by the move that the Padres did make, it's gonna take a lot more than an Oscar Colas and a Colson Montgomery to go out and get someone like Juan Soto so how do you feel about what the White Sox did at the trade deadline three one two three three two three seven seven six or what they didn't do at the trade deadline that is the conversation we're having here on White Sox weekly let's go downtown to Rob welcome to White Sox weekly Rob Rob you got us going once going twice. And Rob is not there for us. All right. Well, we tried. Um, 312-332-3776. If you want to take Rob's spot here on the phone lines on White Sox Weekly. So I'm looking into some of the, the other things that maybe the White Sox could have addressed here. Now, there is always the possibility that something else pops up. We do see some players sometimes get released at this point, designated for assignment at times around this portion of the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if the White Sox are in on someone like that. I mean, you look at some of the names that have been DFA'd over the the last couple of days here. Jackie Bradley Jr. is one of those names. Now, Jackie is one of those players who has struggled in his return back in Boston. There's a reason why he was designated for assignment. He is not the player that he once was with the Red Sox when he was an all-star back in 2016, a guy who could give you a little bit of power at times. He's had some twenty plus home run seasons, but he's not quite that player. But is that a name that would intrigue you if you are a White Sox fan to bring in someone like that? This isn't a player that I think the White Sox would necessarily be in on, but hey, maybe I mean you you heard uh what Bradford Doolittle had to say about second baseman being one of those spots. Andrelton Simmons was designated for assignment earlier today by the Cubs. Now that's not a player that's going to give you a whole heck of a lot of pop, in terms of go out and and do something for you there. And you you've, you heard me read the numbers earlier about what or what Josh uh, Harrison has provided defensively. According to Fangraphs, he's ranked fifth defensively. He's made some really good plays in the field this year for the White Sox. You just need the bat to come around. I don't know if. A guy like like Angelton Simmons is going to be one of those guys that would interest the White Sox fans in terms of players that could get DFA'd. And again, there are plenty more that could come along the way as well. This is just sort of the the start of the designated for assignment season. I don't know how many are going to become available during the course of this run. But there certainly could be a few that hit the market and maybe the White Sox have some interest in moving forward. Let's get to the phones here. Let's go to Paul. He's in Mancino. Paul, welcome to White Sox Weekly. Hey, hello. How are you today? I'm fantastic. What you got, Paul? I, I was just going to bring up, Um,
2: what I was really upset about is, you know, Merrifield. I mean, that would have been a perfect fit for the White Sox. And I, I can't say I know offhand what the Blue Jays gave up, what size. I think it was two prospects, but... I just thought maybe, you know, do you think somehow Kansas city wasn't going to their own division or what, or just off the top of your head, do you know what blue Jays gave up to get Merrifield? Because to me, that, that was the guy that, that really would have been the guy to maybe just push us a little bit, got some speed on the bases, good average. And you know what? We're, we're all kind of done with Garcia. You know, Harrison would have been a great filling guy, but you know, merrifield to me would have been a great step up so that's what i had to say i you know i'll let let you answer yeah Thank
1: you so i'm pulling up the the return there for whit merrifield i'll get that to you in a second when, when i got it for you here but i look at whit merrifield as a guy yeah the 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 divisional thing is certainly real you never know what kind of tax the royals may throw on and I don't know if that's something that the White Sox would be interested in, nor should it be something that they would necessarily want to entertain as well when you're going out. It's an unfortunate nature, again, kind of a victim of geography there. But that's something that's, yeah, I, I think the, the Whitmerfield trade, and again, that was also something that came in right at the horn as well. Would the White Sox have been able to craft some sort of deal or were the Royals just sort of holding out there as well? When we come back, we will talk to Jimmy Lambert, White Sox reliever. He's been off to a fantastic start to his major league career, especially out of the bullpen. We'll check in with Jimmy Lambert down in Texas when we return on White Sox Weekly. White Sox weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Tyler Aki in for Connor McKnight. Connor will be alongside Darren Jackson on the call for tonight. White Sox and Rangers coming up at 6.05 pregame. Getting going at 5.30 here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Sox looking to take the second game of this four game set. Their second win of this four game set, I should say. Uh, Jimmy Lambert Joins us here on White Sox Weekly. Jimmy's numbers have been absolutely stellar since moving to the bullpen with this White Sox team. You look at his 17 appearances this year. He's got an ERA below one. Opponents hitting just 162 against him with an OPS of 516. Some dominant stuff from Jimmy, and he joins us now on White Sox Weekly. Jimmy, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. So, you've been off to a fantastic start this season here in 2022. What do you feel like has been working for you the most here this season?
3: Um, I mean, it's just been nice to be around the guys and uh, be up here for a little while. Um, In terms of pitching, just, you know, trying to throw strikes, get ahead of hitters. Um, You know, it's been great working with Sebi. Um, Reese he's here, now yes. And then, obviously, the
1: defense has been doing great, so it's just – kind of just been going well just trying to ride the wave what's that like for a, a relief pitcher in particular where sometimes you see starters with particular catchers that they like to throw to but the white Sox uncharacteristically are carrying three guys now two uh with the trade of reese mcguire earlier this week but what's that like for a reliever where you don't necessarily know who you're going to throw to day to day
3: i mean i would say that i think it would be difficult if there was one guy who guys it might throw to but in, in our case, when it was three guys, and now it's two guys, it's it's not like that. We, I feel like every one of us has thrown to these guys quite a bit, whether it's Yaz or Sebi. Um, we've got a good relationship with them. They know how how our stuff
1: plays, and uh, it's been working out for us. So you were a starter in the minor leagues. I'm sure that remains your aspirations as a big league ball player to be a starting pitcher in this league. What is that like? Where you start the beginning of the season as a starter. Uh, in the minors as well, as well as a, a couple starts at the big league level too. And now you're thrown into this relief situation here with the White Sox.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think long-term I, I would like to be a starter. Um, I think that's all, my ultimate goal. That's, you know, the dream job, I think, of anybody who was a starter at one point in their career. I, know, I mean, if you look at our bullpen, it's basically every single guy was a starter. You know, Lopez, Graveman, Kelly... Even Liam, everybody at the beginning of their career was a starter. Um, And I would like to get back to that. But in terms of the adjustment, it's been nice to have those guys and just be able to lean on them and ask them questions. Because, I mean, you know, they've been through it and they've they've made the transition. And um, they've honestly made it easy for me. Um, Just kind of go into the bullpen and
1: just get my feet wet and uh, keep going, I guess. Have you had conversations with Michael Kopech? Because that's a guy who has been fantastic as a starter for you guys this season. And last year, he was one of the relief guys. And he has spent a lot of time in the bullpen. And now he's made the jump to be a full-time starter. Have you had conversations with him about taking that leap?
3: Yeah, 100%. Michael Kopech. uh, Also, Garrett Crochet. I know Crochet hasn't made the leap back to being a starter yet. But he was a starter. Um, I think his aspirations to be a starter. And he spent, obviously last year in the bullpen. And then, like you said, Kopech, um, the conversations with him is more just kind of the way, how he handled the, the workload and the difference, um, being a reliever than ter- uh, then being a starter. Cause that's the thing. That's the probably the biggest differences as a starter, obviously, you know, when you're going to throw as a reliever, you know, you gotta be ready every day and it takes a little while to get that routine and, and get your body ready to go. Um, and, and he's been a guy that I've been able to lean on and ask questions um, to help me. You know, Obviously, I can be
1: better. Talking with Jimmy Lambert here on White Sox Weekly. So, Jimmy, who's the one pitcher in the bullpen that's sort of taken you under their wing? There's a lot of great baseball minds and a lot of all-stars in that bullpen there, but who, who's someone who has given you a lot of advice so far this season?
3: I mean, I wish I could give you one guy, but I really can't. I think it's been... All of them, to be honest. I mean, like I said, you know, Grave, uh, Kelly, Liam, all starting their careers as starters and transitioning to the bullpen. Um, it's just been great to be around those guys, to be honest, um, and kind of pick their brains. And um, you know, we have we have fun with it too. We keep it loose, you know. I think they give me a hard time a lot of times, but uh, it's fun, man. Like you gotta, you got 162 games. It's a long season. You gotta find a way to keep it keep it loose, especially um sitting down there in the bullpen and i feel like we do a great job of it, and those guys have been awesome um
1: in terms of all of that stuff so what is it like spending all that time with liam hendricks i mean that that guy seems like he never shuts up what's it like spending all that time with him in the bullpen over the course of a game
3: it's funny you say that. He, he'll, he'll tell you that by his own admission um <laughs> To be honest, and he'll say this too, he doesn't get down there until the sixth inning, and I think it's good for all of us because <laughs> we don't have, we don't have to listen to it for the first six innings. But uh, but yeah, no, he's great. I mean, he's he's you know obviously keeps it light. Um, obviously, you know, once you get to the eighth inning, seventh, eighth inning, and he can obviously see he's going in the game. He starts to lock it in. But um, it, it's all good fun, man. We we enjoy it and uh, we enjoy each other and and. Uh, Nine innings of Liam
1: might be too much, but, if, but we can handle a few. <laughs> I'm sure the flights are just as entertaining. Jimmy Lambert's our guest here on White Sox Weekly. One guy among the White Sox pitchers right now that's really going through it is Dylan Cease. He has been lights out over the course of his last 13 starts, doing a lot of historical stuff. What's it like having that front-row seat to watch this sort of history from a guy like Dylan Cease? I mean, it's been it's been awesome,
3: man. I mean, I, I played with Cease all the way since high A. And uh, so just to kind of, we were in the same rotation in high A, same rotation in double A, um, a little while in triple A. And he's, you know, just to see the growth that he's made and, and the, the steps he's taken, it's, it's been a year by year thing too. Like, and it's not stopping. He just keeps getting better and better. and it's, Even over the last couple of months, I feel like he's better now than he was two months ago. Um, it's been, it's been crazy to see, man. I mean, he's, he's got some of the best stuff I've ever seen. and And now he's, Obviously, learning how to use it, and
1: uh, he's having a historical season. No question about it. You mentioned you've been with him ever since high A. When did it click for you that all right, yep, this dude's going to be an ace?
3: I mean, I would say the first time I saw him throw a baseball, I would, it, was, it's the, it was the easiest Hunter Monarch fastball I'd ever seen. It, was, it would look like he was throwing ninety, and then if you look at the radar gun, it's a hundred. Everything just flowed out of his hand. It was just a matter of time before. You know he figures it all out with the off speed and um, and learning how to pitch. And like I said, he's not done. Like he he's still getting better. That's the scary part. He's, um, you know, he's really intuitive, smart dude, and works hard and really good athlete. And he
1: just keeps getting better. And he like I said, he's not done. Jimmy Lambert with us here on White Sox Weekly. So, you've had a lot of high leverage situations that you've been thrown into this season, and you have passed with flying colors. What does it mean for a young guy like yourself to get this much trust as early in your career as you are from a Hall of Fame manager and Tony La Russa?
3: Yeah, I mean you said it. It's the fact that he's putting you out there just that, that alone gives you confidence. He he came up to me the first day when I got caught up and put in the bullpen. Um which I was really happy for that role. I any way to get me on the team, that's that's what I want. And right now it's the bullpen and so I was ecstatic to be Put in that role, but he came up to me the first day and he said, he said, uh, if it's the eighth inning tonight and it's, and it's a tie game and you're, you get the call, don't be surprised. He, he said, I have confidence in any, in any situation. And, um, he said a few more things, but just that conversation alone gave me confidence. And then sure enough, I think it was that night or the next night, it was a tie game and I was in the game late in the game. And, um, yeah, I mean, Hall of Fame guy putting you in there. I mean, how can you not have confidence, you know? And and I think, you know, going back to what you said earlier, I think the guys in the bullpen have also done a great job of helping me out with all that stuff. And um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a pretty smooth transition. Like I said, just trying to continue to ride the with
1: Jimmy Lambert with us on White Sox Weekly. So your brother Peter is a pitcher in the, the Rockies organization. He's been up and down with the big league club there. What What's it like having a brother, and how often do you guys – bounce stuff off of each other as being brothers in the major leagues? Oh, I mean, I would say
3: it's a, it's a daily thing for sure. I mean, he, he's been hurt, um, for a couple of years now. He's, he had Tommy John, he's had a couple of setbacks, so, um, he's able to watch all of our games. And, uh, you know, I obviously had Tommy John. And so whether it's, we bounce stuff off each other, whether it's with that stuff or pitching or whatever it may be, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely special. Um, you know, not a lot of guys have that or are able to have somebody that as close to them as their brother, um, you know, kind of living the same life and, and going through the same thing. So um, it, it's
1: definitely special. It's been a lot of fun. Now, I've heard from some boots on the ground out at uh, in Arlington, Texas, that the ping pong table has been all the rage in the visiting clubhouse. What can you tell us about the ping pong table in Arlington? Oh,
3: yes. Yeah, uh We've been here three days now. I think yeah, it's it's definitely getting a lot of play. That's for sure. There's some guys that can play in here. I'll tell you that much. Gavin Cheese, not bad. Um, bullpen catcher Miguel Gonzalez, not bad. Uh, I, I say I'm up there. Kendall right. graveman has been on there quite a bit. It's, it's been it's been
1: fun. All right, I got some superlatives. I need you to give out. Who's got the hardest hit on the on the ping pong table?
3: Hardest hit, like
1: like slam. Yeah, like the
3: strike. Yep. Um, I'll say me.
1: You? Okay. Who's got the nastiest spin? Ooh. That I've seen, I'll say Sheets. Sheets, okay. And then who has the best serve? I'll go Sheets again.
3: I'm not... Sheets is... I I don't want to say this on air, but I guess I have to. Sheets is the... He's one of the best players I've ever seen.
1: (laughs) What makes him so good? just... He's just got all the tools?
3: Yeah, he's... he doesn't make mistakes. That's the thing about ping pong. If you can outlast the other guy in terms of mistakes, you're going to win. And he doesn't make mistakes.
0: Which two players have you
3: seen?
1: Oh, go ahead. I said it's annoying. Yeah. So, w- which two players have you seen have the longest point?
3: Oh, uh, I mean, me and Chiefs have had a couple of good ones. Uh, I mean, everyone's pretty good. Like, Graveman's good. Um,. Matt Foster's been on there quite a bit. Cease was playing a little bit earlier today. Everyone's pretty good, to be
1: honest. Jimmy Lambert, thanks so much for taking some time with us on White Sox Weekly, and we look forward to catching up with you down the road. Yeah, man, appreciate it. No problem. That's White Sox pitcher Jimmy Lambert with us, and he has been fantastic. Out of the White Sox bullpen, has pitched in a number of high-leverage situations, and you heard all the stuff about the ping-pong games going down. Hopefully, that competitive nature translating into the field later on this afternoon into the evening as the White Sox take on the Rangers game. Three of a four-game set, first pitch at 6.05. You'll hear Connor McKnight on the call alongside Darren Jackson. When we come back, we'll take your calls. We've been talking a little bit about the trade deadline from earlier this week. How do you feel about what the White Sox did or didn't do and what do you expect from them in the second half as a result of that? Three one, two, three three two, three seven, seven six is the number to get to. It's White Sox Weekly. Hey, spend your summer at the ballpark with Miller Lite bleachers and brews. Get one ticket and two beers starting at just $27. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew. Take your calls when we come back, and and we will also talk to Jesse Rogers coming up at 5 o'clock from ESPN. He will tell us everything we need to know about the aftermath of the trade deadline. That's coming up in just a little bit on White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly. Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. Connor will be alongside Darren Jackson later on today for first pitch coming up a little over an hour from now. White Sox and Rangers will get going at 6.05. I've got you on the FanDuel White Sox pregame show coming up at 5.30. Hey, kids club members take advantage of this special White Sox and Chicago Bulls kids club offer. All ticket buyers for the Sunday, August 14th game at 110 will be able to walk in a pregame parade around the warning track. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Kids Club. There's nothing like the thrill that goes through someone's body, even as a 25-year-old myself, when you step onto a major league field for the first time. So be sure to check that out. Again, that's WhiteSox.com slash Kids Club. We've been talking a little bit about the trade deadline and the White Sox moves or not moves that have been made over the course of the past week. Let's head on out to the phones, 312-332-3776, if you've got a thought. We'll start with Al in Joliet. Al, you're on White Sox Weekly.
4: How are you doing today? Good show. Thank you, Al. Hey, you know, every major league team is trying to catch lightning in a bottle right now, and you know, you can argue we should have made this trade, should have made that trade, but the fact is, we are where we're at. So maybe, maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle, so to speak. Maybe give a chance to some of our minor leaguers. Uh, you know, we did it with the Yerminator last year. Uh, we kind of did it with a couple of our pitchers. We just we just talked to one guy, who uh, turned out to be really good. Uh, but you now let's face it, some some days we're out there with two. First baseman's in the outfield. Other days we have Eloy and a first baseman in the outfielder. So, you know, give give some of our young guys a chance, maybe get a little enthusiasm going, improve the defense a little bit. Uh, I don't
1: know. I get what you're saying there, and I appreciate the phone call. The one thing I would say is that I think it is, A, who are you bringing up? Because you look at a bunch of the White Sox top prospects right now, a lot of them. I'm just going off of MLB pipeline here. A lot of, you got to go all the way down to number 13 before you find a guy that's in Triple A right now. So if you're looking for a spark, it's, it's, right now it's a lot of guys that are in double double A and high A ball right now. So I don't think there's necessarily that guy, and I don't know if it's the right idea to throw a young guy into the thick of a playoff race right here. I just don't think that is the right move. I'd rather maybe try to take a chance on someone who's been around uh, the the major league scene a little bit more than try to force something out of the minor leagues from AAA. And I just don't know if there's that guy right now in AAA that's going to provide a spark. And I'm not just saying this for the White Sox. I, I would advise that for all 30 teams across baseball. I don't know if there's if you're going to find a, a guy to come up and make his major league debut that's going to provide some sort of spark, or for a guy who's maybe bounced up and down, I don't think they're going to be the ones that provide that sort of spark here. Let's squeeze in Giuliano. He's in Wicker Park. Giuliano, welcome to White Sox Weekly.
2: Hey, Tyler.
4: Hey, first off, great job filling in for Connor when he's been on a play call, man.
1: Thank but you. I, I appreciate
4: just, uh, that. Yeah, of course, man. I just wanted to touch back on you know the DFA conversation. I know you mentioned Bradley Jr., but... Realistically, any player we bring in—I mean, do you have any confidence in this coaching and training staff to turn around a player that's already been in the season with with a team that's trying to work with them, and for for us to to turn them around when you know we are already trying to just consistently get our own guys getting producing just day to day basis? So I'd just like to hear your thoughts
1: on that. Yeah, I think it's a great question, there, Juliano, and I, thanks for the phone call here. I think the one thing that when you look at players that get DFA'd and get brought into new situations and go out and have fantastic runs i think it's more the change of scenery that really helps these players out more so than maybe the what coaching staff you're you're being joined to and here's the thing is you heard what what Jimmy Lambert said about Tony La Russa too the conversation that they had and that sort of inspired all the confidence that he's been working with here ever since coming back up with the big league clubs, So I think that's something that certainly I think it's more so the change of scenery as opposed to the environment that you're being put into that helps some of these guys. And Hey, I think some of the guys that he, that whoever would maybe get brought in would be around would certainly be a good group to help incorporate and assimilate them to get them back to the place where they once were. We'll talk with Jesse Rogers from ESPN in two minutes for a full trade deadline roundup, as well as what's ahead for the White Sox. That's coming up in just a little bit. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. your family out to a White Sox game starting at $70 with a family four-pack presented by Exxon Mobil. You'll get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips to select games. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash four-packs. This is White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Tyler Rocky, in for Connor McKnight. Game three of a four-game set between the Rangers and White Sox coming up at 6.05. Let's go out Jesse Rogers from ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Jesse Rogers ESPN if you want to join his army of Twitter followers there. He joins us on White Sox Weekly. Jess, how you doing? I'm good, Tyler. How you doing, pal? I'm fantastic. All right, let's start with something from last night. Dylan Cease. I mean, the the dominant run that he's been on has been something that's really taken over baseball this season. Obviously playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of the snub from the All-Star game. But where do you see Dylan Cease shaping up in the Cy Young race when all things are all said and done?
4: Oh, he's a finalist as of today. There's no doubt about it. I'm not sure he's the favorite over Justin Verlander. Verlander's numbers are just as good, if not better. He's playing on a first-place team. He's got that name recognition. Um, He made the all-star team. uh, Dylan should have but did not. So if the season ends today, I suspect Verlander would win it, obviously coming back from the injury as well. He'd throw that in the mix. He'll win comeback player of the year and Cy Young. Uh, but Cease would be right there, probably second, maybe third at worst. And there's there's there it is. He's a finalist for sure if the season ends today. This is a kind of run you rarely, rarely see. I mentioned this on the postgame show last night. I covered Jake Arrieta on the other side of town in 15 in the second half. It's reminiscent of that. It's that dominant. Uh, he had a .74 ERA in the second half, had this amazing slurve kind of pitch, half curve, half slider. Obviously with Cease, it's just this slider, which he can throw for a strike or he can throw out of the zone. He gets tons of swings and misses. It wasn't even at its best last night, and he still came up with another great performance. So yeah, he is, he's going to be one of your three finalists, obviously, if he continues like this. Um, but there's still you a know, month and whatever left in the season, and you know you got to finish um, strong to, to be considered for any of these awards. It's, a, it's It really is a six-month award when you talk about MVP or Cy Young. It's really hard to have a bad month and be a finalist or win one of these major awards. But Assis is doing it, he's putting it together, and the last 13 have been unbelievable.
1: I was going to say, I wanted to bring up Arietta because I think that's the interesting comp here. Both guys weren't all-stars, and then they're in the midst of these historic runs. You brought up some of the pitch mix stuff and, and the pitches that they'll go to. But what mentally or mentality do you see similar between a guy like Dylan Cease and Jake when he had that fantastic run in 2015?
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously confidence is the word that comes to mind. Jake showed it a little bit more. He was um, a little bit more of a veteran and had this more verbose, if that's the right word, personality, a little bit more out there. Um, He was so confident in his stuff in that year. And Dylan's the same way. And I think that's why – in cases of uh, like these guys, the elite players, th- there's no panic. Even when they have a moment like the first inning yesterday where he walks a couple guys, gives up a run. I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, wow, I-, I haven't given up more than one run in 13 starts. Is this going to be it? Not sure. He was thinking that, but it doesn't matter because he's so confident that he'll come back in the second and the third and the fourth. And, and that slider will eventually find its groove and he'll he'll have a great outing. So, um, you know, success breeds confidence, and then confidence kind of breeds the success, and uh, and that's the similarity I, I, I saw in an Arietta and season and seasoned. you see in all the great ones. It's just that combination where you know you can do it. You can do it with your best stuff. You can do it with your less than best stuff. You can do it. Um, you know, sometimes when when your best pitch isn't at its best, and then sometimes it it, it finds its groove a little bit later in the game. Uh, But confidence is the word that comes to mind when I think of both those guys in this
1: moment. Jesse Rogers with us here on White Sox Weekly. So let's get into the trade deadline a little bit here. Uh, I'm looking across the AL Central, and you see the Twins. They go out and make their big moves for some pitchers. The White Sox, they just make the one move. And I think it's an interesting one because it was major league player for major league player. What did you make of what the White Sox did in adding Jake Diekman, and that being their only move at the deadline?
4: I actually really like that move, even in the moment, and I'm liking it even more watching him. They absolutely needed a matchup lefty. I mean, you think about the beginning of the season, Crochet and Bummer were supposed to be the guys from that side. Uh, Bummer, okay, up and down season last year, but he, we know he gets ground balls, and Crochet's got that fireball You know, from the left side. He, he can get any lefty out, and both are down, basically lost for the season, let's face it. Bummer's been go- been gone for so long, even if he comes back, we're not sure what he's going to be like and Crochet has missed the whole season. So you go out and get that matchup lefty for the extra catcher that you had. Um, many, you know, few teams carry and play three catchers. So mm-hmm. once Grandel returned um, and Sebi stepped up at the plate, it made sense. If you could move one of them for um, a reliever, great, and they did that. So no problem with that deal. It would have been nice to add another righty. I know they tried. It just didn't happen. So, like, tonight's an interesting moment. Michael Kopech coming off a – Season high innings and pitches. You used all three of your high leverage relievers, Kelly, Graveman, and Hendricks last night. Not that you can't use them again because Cueto gave the bullpen a day off two nights ago. But you see what I'm getting at when when you're in a pennant race like this, a division race. There's going to be close games against the bad teams, against the good teams. It's just the nature of it when you're chasing, and you know you don't have that 10 game lead where you can blow a game just to save a pitcher. So they are missing a right-handed reliever. Maybe Matt Foster returns to form. Maybe um, you know someone comes up in September and surprises. That happens. But right now they, they feel like they're a little short from the right side. And so I would have liked to have seen that. I didn't think he could do much to change the dynamic of the offense. We could talk more about the offense, Tyler. It's mm-hmm. been a really strange year offensively. Some of the numbers indicate they should be scoring a lot more runs. But, of course, one big number is down, and that's home runs. Right. I don't know that he could change much unless he got a left-handed bat that was decidedly better than Sheets, Grindel, and Mankata. If you could get that, great. Not easy. They don't grow on trees. Benintendi went to New York, and you know there weren't that many that moved that were, were better than what you have. Peralta moved. I know they were in on Tyler Naquin. That would have been nice. He's off to a good start with the Mets. Um, so I, I didn't think they'd do much to change the offense, but I thought maybe they could add one more righty. It just didn't happen.
1: Jess, what did the market look like for guys like Jock Peterson or Ian Happ? Just some of those left-handed or, in the case of Happ, switch-hitting bats that could have maybe made an impact on on the White Sox uh, offense.
4: Yeah, well, clearly Jed had a high ask for, for both Wilson and um, Ian Happ, high enough that they didn't get moved, let's face it. And, and I mean, Half is worth more than just some double A prospect. Like that's a good player with an extra year, switch hitter that can play up to five positions, including second and first in a pinch. So um, it was it was high enough. There's no doubt, and I think, you know Rick Hahn mentioned this the day or the day of the, the night of the the, the, the deadline after a it pass. It, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an easy thing to, to necessarily go dip into the farm system. They have a couple high end guys. And you know there's other guys still working their way up. It wasn't the deepest, most ready firm system to bring back big chips. And I'm not sh- I'm not sure exactly where an outfielder fits in, um, you know, because you're you're stacked out there. It would have been great if you could find a second baseman. I guess Hap could play there. That's that's lefty, but you know it's not his best position right now. So it, it was tough. I think the price was too high for a guy like Hap, and and your outfield's pretty clogged. You have to get someone, as I said before. Decidedly better than what you have now. If you're going to push your chips all in, and uh, I'm not sure he could do that um, right now to get a little bit more balance. I think it's something he might have to do if they come up short this season. He might have to do it in the off season. So um, I think it's it's kind of obvious, you know. um, Yeah, in some cases like for Soto, big big time prospects move. Luis Castillo, big big time prospects moves. So for the high end guys, the prospects move. For the medium guys we either see them, we saw them didn't move, or there wasn't a lot given for them. And I think that's where a guy like Ian Happ falls in, in, into that category.
1: Jesse Rogers, our guest on White Sox Weekly. So you brought up Juan Soto there. I know the White Sox were never really in on Juan Soto, but was there any sort of ricochet that they maybe caught down the road as a result? Maybe they couldn't get Guy X on the trade market because everything was sort of hung up in the Juan Soto talks with the Padres and the Nationals. Uh,
4: yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. When, when um, the Padres who were interested in a lot of people traded for Juan Soto, now all of a sudden um, there's a lot of teams interested in those people again. Uh, I, I think that's one reason why maybe Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras when the Cubs didn't move, but all of a sudden you see other teams start to grab players. Um, and so yeah, I think there there was an impact, but But, again, I think the the White Sox farm system probably isn't deep enough to really make that big move anyway at this moment, unless you give up Oscar Colas, unless you give up Colson Montgomery. Uh, But they were caught in between. Again, i just go back to what I said before. You're not going to get Soto. You're probably not going to get Castillo or Montez. Now you're going to drop down. And is there a starter on paper better than the five that you have? I don't know. I don't know. Not necessarily. That was out there after Montez and Castillo. Was there an outfielder better than a healthy Eloy, healthy Robert, healthy combination of Pollock and Sheets and those guys? You know, there was no Schwarber on the market, for example. Ben Benintendi would have been it. Trade in the division is always tough. You have to pay an extra tax. So um, I, I'm not sure that the Soto deal impacted the White Sox all that much, but but there, were, there was a ricochet effect from other teams that maybe ended up impacting the White Sox, if that makes sense. But it, it's hard to know because there's so many moving parts when you when you talk about, you know, deadline day and, and a deal like Soto and, and, and how many, where the tentacles went out after that deal was made. Mm-hmm.
1: One of the things that I, I saw your colleague Bradford Doolittle wrote about the, the teams after the deadline with, with gaping holes still, and one one thing that I noticed, too, was at the end of his little blurb about the White Sox, he said something about the potential for a player that's designated for assignment to maybe come in and be that spark for this team post-trade deadline. Obviously, there was the the DFA of Jackie Bradley Jr. the other day, but do you do you see there being a player that hits the market that would intrigue Rick Hahn and the White Sox? You
4: have to think about that. I mean, it would be a reliever in my opinion i am not sure you you want a, you you want a reliever that's been dfa'd right i mean i don't again you have to replace someone on your team with someone that's decidedly better to make a move like that and i'm not sure i, I can't think of one on the market uh, you know that might come on the market um uh, right now i think in a few weeks we're going to be back we're going to be at september 1st you can add a few guys to the roster and at that point, you might get someone from within to step up, but no. I off the top of my head, I can't think of someone that would be able to
1: do that. All right, Jesse Rogers from ESPN. Thanks so much for taking some time with us, and we'll talk to you again soon.
4: All right, Tyler, take care, man.
1: That's Jesse Rogers. You can follow him on Twitter at Jesse Rogers ESPN. Always some great insight that he adds here on White Sox Weekly. When we come back, we'll get you ready for tonight's game, White Sox and Rangers. That's coming up at six oh five. We'll have the pregame for you coming up at five thirty. White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the White Sox Weekly podcast on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, hey Sox fans, have you checked out the White Sox podcast Sox Degrees? They have great guests all season long, some close to the team and some six degrees away. New episodes drop every other Monday to listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Jason Benetti and Len Casper do a fantastic job on that show. Let's get you the lineups today for the White Sox and Rangers. We've got a good pitching matchup, Michael Kopech on one end and former White Sox, Dane Dunning on the other end for Texas, if you remember Dunning was traded for Lance Lynn a couple seasons ago in the move that brought Lynn here to bolster this pitching staff, and Lynn has certainly paid off some dividends that way. And Dunning struggling a little bit this year, a one in six record, four thirty ERA, has struck out ninety three batters though in twenty twenty two. Kopech this season four and seven on the year, a three twelve earned run average, eighty one punch outs for Kopech. Here's the one through nine for Tony Larusa. Tim Anderson in his usual spot. He's playing shortstop and leading off. Here's a little bit of a twist here. Yasmani Grandal will do the catching and also bat second for this team. White Sox trying to get Yaz going here in this second half of the season. Aloy back in the three spot. He has been red hot as of late. He hit the big home run last night. He's doing the designated hitting. Jose Abreu will clean things up and play first base. Andrew Vaughn is out in left field and batting fifth. Yohan Moncada over at third in the sixth spot. A.J. Pollock, Gavin Sheets, Leory Garcia, your 7-8-9. Pollock in center, Sheets in right, Leory at second base. On the other side for Texas, Marcus Semien will lead things off. He's Playing second base. Corey Seager, the big prize free agent signing for the Rangers, is at shortstop. Nathaniel Lowe over at first. Adolis Garcia out in right and hitting cleanup. Leody Tavares is doing the designated hitting. Uh, Mibris Viliora is doing the catching. Ezekiel Duran over at third base. Josh Smith out in left and Bubba Thompson in center. Those are the nine that Michael Kopech will be tasked with shutting down today. Kopeck's one of those guys who has really been one of the bright spots here in 2022. I think you really look at the White Sox as a whole here in this 2022 season. A lot of things have gone right from a pitching perspective. You think about your three top-of-the-line pitchers, at least from a production standpoint here in 2022, they've all been, I don't want to say revelations, because some of it you saw coming. But I guess it's living up to expectations is the right way to put it. Um, Johnny Cueto has certainly been a revelation. And, I mean, you think about if you you were setting up a White Sox playoff rotation, theoretically, there's a good case to be made for Johnny Cueto to be the guy that gets the ball in game two. And he was a guy who wasn't on your opening day roster. He was still making his way up through AAA in Charlotte, trying to to get the wind into his sails a little bit. But you look at Dylan Cease. He has, again, I think Sox fans knew he would be good this year, but I don't know if people thought he would be as Jesse and as Jimmy Lambert and as pretty much anyone who has watched Dylan Cease this season. I don't think people would have said, oh yeah, that guy's going to be top three in Cy Young votes when it's all said and done. And that's where we're trending for this White Sox team right now and for Dylan Cease in the Cy Young conversation. So there's been that on the plus side obviously I mentioned Cueto and Kopech this is Michael Kopech's first season as a full-time starter he's coming off of his longest start of his career in terms of pitch count he had a hundred pitches in his last outing for the White Sox that came against the Royals earlier this week and Kopech's been really good so far this season you look at the raw numbers, a 312 ERA. For those who like the advanced metrics, a 128 ERA plus. His whip's sitting at about 1.2 right now. And the strikeouts have been there, too. 81 strikeouts, over 95 innings for Kopech. The big thing for him is always going to be, and really for a lot of these young pitchers now, and you look at lengthening your appearances here, it comes down to walks. Are you walking guys or are you not walking guys? If you're not walking guys, chances are you're going to be able to stretch yourself out. Kind of like what Michael did the last time out. When he did throw 100 pitches, he lasted seven innings and only walked one guy. You look at the start he had against the Yankees earlier this season in that doubleheader, his other really dominant outing, where he goes seven innings and he only walks two guys in that one and if memory serves me correct they came late in the appearance as well i look at kopek as one of those guys yeah he's he's he needs to be able to stretch out some of these starts but again it's the marathon with someone like michael kopek because you are just getting into the groove of things because of the fact that he's been coming out of the bullpen over the large majority of his career, he got some of those doubleheader starts, especially when the doubleheaders were only seven innings long uh, back in 2020 or rather in 2021, I should say. Um, but that's another thing that uh, Michael Kopeck, he's going to have to be one of those guys that that really you want to see him stretch out. But again, you don't want to overbear him and overwhelm him in some of these situations. Let's squeeze in one quick call before we head on out of here. Keith is in Lowell, Michigan. Keith, welcome to White Sox Weekly.
2: Hi, guys. Um, Quick question. Uh, A fellow by the name of Michael Conforto. I didn't know about him until recently when I looked up. Apparently, he got released by the Mets or didn't get a contract, and then he had soldier, uh, whatever, surgery, Mm -hmm. and then... Everyone was waiting at the trade deadline because if they picked up this guy, Michael Conforto from the Mets, they'd have to pay him a draft pick or something. But after the trade deadline, he's available, and his agent Scott Boras apparently he says, "Hey, he's been working out, and he's available, and he used to be really good." Just want to get your take on that.
1: Yeah, I and thanks for the call, Keith. And Michael Conforto has been one of those names that's been floated in White Sox circles, even in this past off season. Um, but, but injuries are setting in again, if he's healthy, I don't see why not. But again, we've have seen the ebbs and flows of Michael Conforto's career. Again, if everything, again, everything kind of has to make sense for this to, to come into the fold here. A, he has to accept the deal that you want to give him. And he is a Boris client and we can see that those negotiations can be a bit dicey at times. I, I look at a guy like Conforto, if you can get him on the right deal, sure, why not take a swing at it? You don't know what he could end up bringing to you, but at the end of the day, he is a guy who's coming off of sh- shoulder surgery, and I don't know what the the level of interest across the league is right now for a guy like Conforto, because if it is something that is some sort of a bidding war, that's not something I'm really interested in if I'm the White Sox. so. We'll see what the market looks like moving forward. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for hanging out, calling, participating. If you missed anything on today's show, be sure to check out the White Sox Weekly podcast wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to Jesse Rogers, Jimmy Lambert, and Connor McKnight for hanging in with us today. And thank you to Charlie Bevins, our producer, as well as our executive producer, Eric Ostrowski. White Sox and Rangers pregame show coming up in five minutes on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.